Thank you, Nathan, for leading us in worship. Um, Maybe we'll move this over here. Um, It's so great to be back here. Um, I know that we only had like one week off, but it feels like I haven't seen all of you in months. So it's, it's really great to be back. Is everyone else happy to be back? Yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> all right. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Um, plenty of time to forget what we were doing uh, for the past few weeks. Uh, we are currently in a series called Run to Win, and we're studying through the whole book of Philippians. And tonight we're going to be in chapter 2, so if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there, pull out your phone. The verses will also be up on the screen if you want to take a look at those. So we had a bunch of great messages uh, through the book of Philippians. Just as a reminder, this is a, a letter that Paul is writing, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing, to a church that he planted in the city of Philippi. Um, and he's writing it from a Roman prison, chained to a Roman guard, and he thought, you know, I really just want to encourage these guys out, out there in Philippi, you know? Because um, that's what I think most people think about in prison, is, you know, encouraging other people. Um, so we, we heard some great messages, uh, one about how Christ is beginning the good work in us, how he's going to bring it about to completion, how we should strive side by side with one another, and we got a great lesson on uh, Christ's humility. Um, So with that, let's just jump right into chapter 2, verse 12, because we've got quite a bit of ground to cover here tonight. Um, So let's just start. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, The first place we have to stop is this word, therefore. It's like my favorite red flag in the Bible because whenever you see the word, therefore, ready? You have to ask yourself, what is it there for? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good, but it's also very helpful. What we just came out of was Paul's exhortation on Jesus and his humility. Um, And specifically, the last thing that he just said was... Um, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what Paul is saying here is, when he uses the word therefore, he's saying in light of this, in light of the fact that everyone is going to have to bow down to the name of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is our Lord, this is what I want you to hear. And what he says is, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. This is kind of a challenging section. Um, And honestly, the first time I read it, um, when I was preparing for this, um, I was a little bit nervous to have to preach this in front of you guys. Because it's it's a little bit theologically shaky, or not shaky, but it gets, we can get into some, some deep waters here. Um, so honestly, we could probably spend all night on just this section here for the rest of the night for maybe a couple weeks, um, but I'm not going to do that to you. We're going to get all the way to the end of chapter two, so we're just going to kind of blow through this. The first thing that I think is important that we notice that Paul is saying here is that we shouldn't need supervision to obey the Lord. He says, as you have always obeyed, 
So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. So he's saying, this church that I planted, while I was there, you guys were awesome. You guys were killing it. You guys were obeying. You were taking the commands. You were learning from the Lord. You were really filled with the Spirit, and I loved to see that. That was really awesome. But now that I'm gone, I want you not only to keep doing that, but I want you to do that more. I want you to be able to still grow even though I'm not there. And now this is the first question that I have for you tonight is, are you still growing on your own? Or is it only happening on Sunday mornings? Or on Wednesday nights? What is happening in between those services? And that's really what we're going to be focusing in on tonight. And that brings us to our second point here. Is he's, is, uh, Paul says that you need to work out your own salvation. All right, what does that mean? Because the last time I was up here, I talked a whole lot about how your salvation is a gift from God. It's something that you can't do anything to work for. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. It's just something that you're given. It's a gift. It's free. That's true. So I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying here. Paul is saying to work out your salvation. Does anyone in this room like to work out? There we go. Okay, we got a couple. Does anyone in this room not like to work out? Hallelujah. <laughs> What's your name? Adrian. A- what was it? Adrian. Adrian. All right. So people like Adrian, and there's a lot of you in this room, don't like to work out. And why don't you like to work out? It sucks. <laughs> and why does it suck? Yeah, that's a you. so long story short it takes effort it's something that takes effort but why do we exercise maybe someone has to exercise I'm going to immediately go to my brother but here we'll pick someone else Darby Uh, yeah you feel good afterwards and that's maybe yeah and there's a lot of physical benefits that come along with it as well like you you might lose some weight You'll get um, more, you might get stronger, you'll get better bone density. There's a whole lot of things that go in, or that uh, you can get out of working out from that effort. Um, and the same thing is true about our, uh, our, our, our spiritual exercise. Um, so what Paul is saying is you need to exercise your salvation. There's a, there's a passage in 1 Timothy that discusses this directly. He says, the benefits of working out your salvation, or sorry, he says, can we pull up the 1 Timothy slide, please? I think it should be the next one. Yeah. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, there it is in the Bible. You need to work out. Just kidding. That's not what it says. So, yes, physical training, physical bodily training is of some value. But working out your own salvation, training yourself for godliness is of so much more value because it's not only going to help you in this life, in dealing with other people, in dealing with the situations in your own life, but it's also going to help you in the life to come. So, 
again, I just want to reiterate, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying you need to work for your salvation. I want to be abundantly clear about that. But Paul is calling us to work out our salvation, to take what is given to us, to exercise it, to put things that he gives us, these commands that he gives us, that Jesus gives us, into practice so that we can benefit from it, so that others around us can benefit from it, and so that we can benefit in the life to come. So if we stop there, I can understand how you might get this whole like works gospel kind of picture in your head. Um, And Paul actually doesn't stop there. He continues on to say, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that kind of gets into like bible talk. Um, what he's really saying here is that God is going to change your desires. He's going to change your desires, which is to will. And he's going to change your actions, which is to work, into something that's pleasing to him. So Paul is calling us to put in this effort to carry out the things that he has been taught. It's okay, I forgive you, Christian. So he's calling us to work out our salvation, but he's saying, you're not alone in this. Don't worry, it's, it, it's gonna be hard. I need you to put in effort. You might have to like wake up early in the morning, you know, do all this stuff, all this stuff that we don't like exercising for. You might have to do all that, but it's okay because God is here to help you with that. God is the one who's going to put the desire to do that in your heart and in your mind. And God is going to be the one to help you carry those actions out. So you're not alone. So I think a lot of people, and my tendency, especially when I get to this part, is I see, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's God working in me. So that means, wait, that means I don't have to do anything. Well, God's just going to do it. That's awesome. I don't have to do anything. But that kind of neglects what we literally just read, which is that you have to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. That kind of sounds like we have to put in some effort too. And so it feels like we have this contradiction here. And I I would encourage all of you to just sink into this contradiction a little bit. You have to work it out. It's going to take a lot of your effort. It's going to take all of you but it's also God who's working in you. It's going to take, take all of him. And it feels like your Western mind, especially the Western mind, really wants to just sit in that and go, no, it's got to be one, it's got to be one of the two. Like, I, I don't like it. And the uncomfortable truth is that it's both. It is you putting in as much effort as you can and God finishing the work for you. It's a little uncomfortable. Um, I've heard it said this way before, pray like it's all up to God and work like it's all up to you. And that's definitely challenging. Another way that I've heard this put, uh, or, or an analogy that I can use here is, sorry, remind me your name again. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, then I'll use, I'll use Trenton in the back then. So if I were to shell out my entire bank account um, and build a home gym, which would not be that impressive of a home gym. Um, but, and, I, and I built an entire home gym and I put it in Trenton's apartment, 
There is so much physical benefit that is sitting in all of that equipment, sitting in his apartment, and he could get so healthy, he could get so strong. He could, he could. (laughs) But the problem is, I know Trenton too well. He wouldn't use it. (laughs) He wouldn't use it at all. So all of that benefit is there. For him, that whole gym is a completely free gift. It's completely free. He didn't spend a dime. I'll even install it. He doesn't have to do anything. It's there. That's your salvation. It was given to you. It was a gift. You didn't do anything to put it there. God put it there. But now it's on you to get some benefit from it. Because there is so much more there than this minimum baseline blessing of I get to go to heaven, which is incredible. It's an incredible gift. No one in this room should have to go to hell. But don't we want to achieve more blessing if we can in this life, in the life to come? Don't we want to have more responsibility in heaven? Eternity is kind of a long time. I really don't want to twiddle my thumbs for that. John MacArthur puts it this way, you need to take what God has planted in you and you need to work it to the outside. Take this free gift that God has planted in you and show it to the world. Show it to the people around you. And that is working out your salvation. So then, Paul says, we have to do something with this information. And he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you all should be glad and rejoice with me. I warned you, we're going through a lot tonight. So I know that was kind of a big section. So let's break it down. What is Paul telling us to do here? First of all, he's telling us to do all things, and we covered this a little bit last week, but in the Greek, what, what does all things mean? All things. all things. Right, right, right. It's kind of like, like we talked about nothing last week, and the Greek is still nothing. So in this one, it's all things. We need to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And I have to admit, I'm really not very good at this one. This is probably the hardest one for me. Um, You know, when someone's in the back and says, hey, um, can we have some help cleaning up this food? My natural reaction is to go, oh, man, where are my keys? I think I have to go. Uh, I think it's time for me to get home. I think it's time for me to go to bed. Um, Or, hey, you know, we're short-staffed this weekend, and we really need someone to fill in on this shift, and I think you're the only person that's available. Uh, Can you do it? Or, um, specifically in my life, uh, when I was going to school down at Ohio University, I was a member of the Marching 110 for a glorious one year, Um, and it was a lot of fun, and we did a lot of traveling, so we were... um, Almost every weekend, maybe every other weekend, we were out playing at different things. I went and played at uh, a Bengals game. We went up and played to the Browns game, and that's the one that I'm going to talk about because that was not a fun experience. I was like, I am a Browns fan. This should be so much fun. And we show up, 
we get off the bus, and we do this thing that we, we always do. We did it everywhere we went called hurry up and wait. Whenever you have to move like 300 people from one place to another, especially when that place is like three hours away, you have to get there so early because it takes a long time to move that many people. Um, so we get to the game at like, the game starts at, at 1, and we're there at like 11. We're like, okay. Um, we warmed up before we left, so we don't really have to do anything. And they just tell us to get off the bus. Now, this wasn't like a nice September, October game. Like, it was like now, this time of year. And they, they push us off the bus. They go and park the bus somewhere else, and we're standing out in the cold for two hours. And we went, okay, well, at least we'll get in. We'll get to go watch part of the game. And then we found out, oh, no, they're going to make us wait outside the stadium in the cold for two quarters of football. And I know that that's only a half hour, but anyone who's ever watched a football game knows that a half an hour in football is like an hour and a half or two hours. Amen. <laughs> so we're standing out there in the cold and... You can bet I was standing there going, man, why do we have to get here so early? I mean, they weren't even going to let us in the game. That's grumbling. And we're called to do nothing grumbling. We're called to do all things without grumbling. Culture is going to tell you that you should respect yourself above people, that you are the absolute most important person at all times and should be to yourself, that your comfort, your personal happiness, your enjoyment is the only thing that matters. And Paul says, I want you to stand out from the world. I want you to stand out from that culture. Stand out as a light in the world. While everyone else is grumbling, what are you doing? Are you trying to encourage others? Are you trying to get their mind maybe off of it? Or are you standing in the back grumbling, adding on to the, onto the everything. Because I can tell you, most of the time, I'm probably the guy in the back that's grumbling and not having a great time. And the Lord's working on that with me. That's something that I, that's part of me working out my own salvation. And what you'll find is, when you're not grumbling so much, you're probably not gonna have that bad of a time. It's probably gonna be a little bit more enjoyable. So while everyone else is fighting to the top, we're really trying to fight to become servants. Um, we see this all throughout Scripture. Uh, in John 13, 14, uh, we, it says, if, then if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In Matthew 23, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will will be exalted. So if Jesus Christ, our Lord, is going to wash the feet of his disciples, the people that he is training to carry his message out into the world, shouldn't we also do the same thing? And I think that this, in Matthew 23, we really see this picture of this upside-down kingdom that we have all been bought into. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And being humbled by God is not a fun place to be. Because he's pretty good at it. He's pretty good at it. 
If you want a good laugh, just get, go into the beginning of uh, Genesis and read the Tower of Babel. Pretty funny example of God humbling people. Um, so, first, our first thing Paul tells us to do is to do all things without grumbling and without disputing. Um, he continues on to say, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So what is he saying here? He's saying, read your Bible. And we have to think about the context of this too. He's not saying this to a people who have this. This whole bound together canon Bible with, with the New Testament and you know, maybe you've got um, like the little, the little you know, thumb index in there. You know. It's a little bit harder for them they're also probably not literate. A lot of this is memory. He's, and he says, not only should you read, you should hold fast to the word of life. It means talking about it with your friends. It means spending time daily in it. Um, if we look at this verb, holding fast, in the Greek, it also is used in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, if we could pull that up for just a second. Uh, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself uh, and on the teaching. And this is where he actually uses it, where he says, keep a close watch on yourself. Paul right here is com- uh, t- teaching Timothy about teaching scripture. And he says, as you do this, you need to keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So the care that you put into delivering the message of God's word and the care that you put into keeping yourself from sin as you're being an example of Christ in the world, that, the way that you watch those things is the way that you should watch the word. And I think it's interesting that in this section where this word is used, we see other synonyms of this word. We see practice, immerse, persist. And I think those are all really great ways to look at actually studying scripture and learning from yourself. And I know it's like a really like uh, preacher type thing to say, to stand in front of a group of people in a church and say, hey, you need to read your Bible. And maybe, maybe you do, maybe you do. Maybe you do what I like to call the Oprah method where you know, you're, oh man, like I got a test tomorrow. Or like, oh man, that girl really doesn't want to talk to me. Or like, I don't know what it is. Like, and okay, you know what? You know, Pastor Mike told me or, or Christian told me that I should probably read my Bible. So, you know what, here, I'm going to just flip to a random page and we're just going to point. So it's called the Oprah method because first we open and then we point, then we read, and then we apply. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Who, who's done this in this room? Anyone? Just me? Oh, okay, yeah, we've got some. We've got some. How many of you has it worked for? You can raise your hand. Yeah, it's worked. I think God will do this sometimes. Like, uh, I think he's, he's kind of a funny guy. Um, so yeah, I, it works sometimes, but like when you flip open to, and then Judas went out and hanged himself. <laughs> what do we, like what do we do with that? What do we do with that? So I, I don't want to leave you with this, with this, funny, with this funny method. Here's what I think a far more practical way to read your Bible is. One, to find a, find a scripture reading plan. The Bible app is full of them, but it, and it doesn't matter what it is. Just get your nose in the word. 
and read a little bit every day. My favorite method to hear from God is using the hear method. And if you were here for um, Steve's uh, presentation over the summer, he talked a lot about it. Um, where I'll just briefly cover it really fast. The, the H is highlight. Pick a very small bit of scripture and write it down. And the E is explain. Find out what does that piece of scripture mean to the people it was written to, who was writing it. Um, find out what it means in that context. Get yourself all the way down to what is the base truth that is being communicated here. A would be apply. What does this mean to me? What does this mean to the people around me? What does this mean to modern day Christians? And then R, respond. What is the action that you're going to take in your life in response to that truth? So if you have any other questions about that, I'd be happy to talk about it more, but we barely have time to get into it tonight uh, because we've got the rest of chapter two to get into. Um, So when... Let's go back to this analogy of exercising for a second. Um, To see benefits, we already said that um, to see benefits, you actually have to do the exercises. But to start that, you need to learn the exercises. And the best way to do that is to learn this awesome love letter that was written to you and to everyone in this room. So you'll learn, as you spend time in this word, you'll learn the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of spending time in the word and spending time learning from God's word and living the word. But we also have to be consistent. Um, So I I do want to ask another very honest question. How much time are you personally spending with the Lord? Don't shout it out or anything, but like in your head, answer that to yourself. Right now in this season, not, not what I was doing when I was back in middle school, or like, man, I was really on fire when I was saved. What are you doing right now in this season? Are you spending the time with the Lord that you want to? Are you spending the time with the Lord that he wants you? Does he know you between the services? Or is it just kind of a passing hello as you walk in to thrive, as you walk into Maranatha? I would encourage everyone to just have a daily appointment with God. And I use those words very specifically because it kind of brings us back to like a doctor's appointment kind of uh, mentality where you schedule this appointment, it's something you can't miss, it's a priority. I'm not saying that you have to set aside four hours in the morning, like get up like at three and then make sure that you're all set and then like spend, like read the entire Bible before noon and just keep going. Just take 10 minutes. Open with a prayer, read some scripture. Maybe do a hero journal. Pray. Open up that connection with God before you start your day. Or maybe you're really not a morning person. Before you go to bed, reflect on what all happened that day. Was I following the Lord to the best of my ability today? Where did I fall short? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need to turn back to God? 
So let's keep going. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Again, we're getting into like all of these like Bible metaphors as like a whole thing. Um, so very simply put, he's just saying, even if I die for your sake, I'm happy about that. If I die for the fact that you know Christ now, sweet. That's my purpose. We see this attitude in Paul a lot. We even saw it as he was talking about how he was sharing the gospel. He said, some people share this out of selfish ambition. Some of them do it just to spite me. But you know what? Jesus is being preached, and that's all I care about. That's fine. That's okay. I'm in prison. And it's kind of weird to think that God would put Paul in prison, maybe like one of the most charismatic preachers of the gospel who ever lived. And he could be sharing with crowds, and, and he could be saving people here left and right and introducing them to Jesus. And instead, he chains them up in a prison with Roman guards. I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd be pretty discouraged. And Paul just looks at it like, oh, yeah, this big guy probably doesn't know Christ. I mean, he kills people for a living, but... But anyways, that is, that is Paul's heart all the time. Um, he says, even if I were to die for the sake of you, for the sake of you being saved and you knowing Christ, I would be glad about that. He says, not only am I going to be glad about that, I want you to be glad with me. I want you to be glad if I die that I'm glad that you know Christ. And I think that this reveals another spiritual discipline that we don't think about a lot. It's like when we think about spiritual disciplines, it's, okay, I know that I need to read the word. Okay, I know that I, I need to pray. But when we don't think a lot about is suffering for the name of Jesus. This is another one that we see. If we go to James chapter 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When you struggle for the gospel, you will grow. God will allow trials into your life so that you can grow. So if maybe you're sitting in here right now and you're in this season of life where it seems like everything's going wrong, like it doesn't seem like any of your prayers are getting answered. You had like eight, eight people pray for this thing and like it just, it, just, it just didn't happen. And like maybe you're just like right on the edge of like I just, I, like I'm still coming, I still want to hear this, but like opening my Bible is just, I can't, I can't do it today. Like I, I really don't want to pray, really don't want to spend time with God because he's just going to let me down again. Can I encourage you in, in this moment that God is letting things into your life because he's turning you into the person that he needs you to be? for his plan for you. You know what's hard? Reading your Bible. You know what's harder than that? Praying. You know what's almost impossible? Enduring trials with joy. But God's going to use all of that in your life to turn you into who he wants you to be, which is to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
If we look at Matthew, Matthew 4, we see Jesus goes through this as well. Um, I don't think I have a slide for this, but Jesus is tempted immediately after his baptism for 40 days, meets the devil face to face. And that's probably not a very fun 40 days. Even Jesus had to endure trials to grow. So, it might feel wrong to have to sit in a trial, to have to sit in suffering, to be uncomfortable, but it all works back to this working out your own salvation. If we go back to this exercise analogy here, um, we see that exercise is just intentionally putting yourself in an uncomfortable position so that you can grow. So, if you like to lift weights and you get under a squat bar, one of the most uncomfortable positions is 300 pounds on this thing and you're like down here. It's, it's really not comfortable. Like when you stand up, it's kind of fun. But like, it's not comfortable. But you know that doing that is going to better your bone health. You know that doing that is going to make you stronger. So when you're facing trials in your life now, when you face them in the future, Remember that you might be in this uncomfortable position so that you can stand up in the future. And God is going to use that to turn you into the person that he wants you to be. So Paul's now given us this command to work out our salvation. He's given us how to work out our salvation. He's given us some practical tips, probably some things that the the Philippian church were specifically struggling with. And Then he gives us two examples of of really great men who are working out their salvation already. Um, The first is Timothy, and he has this to say about him. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send to him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So he says, I have this great guy here, and I want to send him to you. I want you to see him. His name is Timothy. He's awesome. What does he say about him? He says, Timothy is a light in the world. He says, I have no one like him who will genuinely care for you. No one. Paul knows a lot of people serving for the gospel. Paul knows a lot of saved, saved people and says, I have no one like him. That tells us that Timothy is a person who stands out even among his peers. He also tells us that he is a faithful servant. You know, when that food needs cleaned up at the end of the night, Timothy's like, I'm on it. I'm going to be the first one to go do it. He says that Timothy has proven his worth as a son with a father has or Timothy has proven worth because he served him as a son has served him with a, as a son serves a father. When that extra shift needs covered, he's going to show up and work it with joy. He's going to make the people who were actually scheduled on that shift have a good time there. He's going to be happy, they're going to be happy that he showed up. So with this example, I just challenge you, if you want to be used by God, find something to do. Find a place to serve. Find one little thing that you can do to make either this service run smoother, 
Maybe you want to serve um, this church. Maybe you want to serve at another church. Or maybe you just want to serve in your daily life, which is my recommended um, serve in your daily life. Whether that's at your workplace, in your home, among your friends. How can you make someone else's life easier today? The second man that he lifts up is the guy who's actually delivering the letter, and he's the the pastor to the church in Philippi. And he has just a glowing recommendation for this guy. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So speed round, we're going to jump through this whole recommendation, what is the resume of Epaphroditus here? Uh, he calls him a brother in Christ. He's a servant of men. He's a soldier of Christ. And I think the most important detail, and he spends a few sentences talking about it, um, is that he's thinking of other people in his own suffering. This guy is, when, when Paul meets him, this guy is very sick. Almost to death. This guy is dying. And he says, Epaphroditus was, yeah, he was, he was very sick and he was distressed. But not because he was going to die. Because he was worried about what people might think back at, at his home church. He was worried that they were worried about him. And to just give you a little bit of perspective, for him to be worried about that, that means that the news of him being deathly ill had to travel from Rome all the way back to Philippi. And then the news of him being, or the news of them being concerned about him being ill had to come all the way back to Rome. And they didn't have like trains or like cars or planes or anything. So I don't know how long that was, but it was kind of a long time. So he was sick for a very, very long time. And especially in that time, if you were sick for like three days, like, yeah, you're, you're probably done. But God heals him lest Paul have sorrow upon sorrow. Um, and I just can't even imagine being sick for that long to be, and to be so humble to the point that you're concerned about the damage that your death is going to have on other people's lives. He is humble to the point, he is humble to his death. He's more concerned about other people having to get along without him. So, we just burned through a lot of verses here. So what is Paul calling us to here? First, you need to be joyful in your suffering. To die for the sake of the gospel is a great gain in heaven, and to suffer for the sake of the gospel is great gain. He also calls us to be humble instead of being right. Don't grumble. Don't argue when you're in those situations. It's not, it's not becoming of a child of Christ. 
And he also calls us to cling to the word. Read your Bible. But more than that, do what you learn in the Bible. And pray. And I know you guys thought you were getting out of here without it, but we've got our series verse. Perfect. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. And he's saying, look, not that I've already, or he says, look, I'm calling you to these things, not because I've already achieved this, but because Jesus Christ bought me with a price. He told me to be like him. And however imperfectly I'm going to do that, I want you to do it with me. I want you to work out your own salvation alongside me. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this time, uh, for speaking to us through your word and always being faithful to be here with us and to teach us. God, I pray that um, if we were challenged here tonight, that we would examine our hearts and, and find where that comes from. God, I pray that you would just put a repentant spirit in all of us for the things that we do that are not becoming of children of God. God, I pray that you would be with us to will and to work for your good pleasure. Pray that you would help us to work out our salvation. Pray that you would help us to be blessings to the people around us, that you would help us to find places that we can serve others and to serve others without arguing, to serve others without grumbling. And God, I just pray that through this week that we would be convicted to spend more time with you in prayer and in the word and that we would get to know you just a little bit better this week and that we would be lights to shine out your word into the world. In Jesus' name, amen.